Oh my gosh, people, the ghosts and gremlins have arrived for this October episode. So many background noises, and I did what I could. Apologies if it is too distracting. But on with the show. And welcome to episode 51 of Craft Cook Read Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. And I'm Courtney. Today is Thursday, October 15th, 2020. And it is our two-year anniversary of recording, like actually two years today when we did our first recording. Thank you to all of our listeners, both old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. Welcome back, Courtney. Thank you so much. And thank you to Kelly again for hopping in while I was back East. Um, Many of you know by now, because I did put it in my Instagram that my dad passed and we were able to be there and stay for a few days to do like a modified um, funeral service and an outdoor gathering with the family. So We are back in San Francisco and getting our feet back under us. And um, yeah, one step at a time. But thank you for you and Kelly sort of forging ahead and keeping things going. Because if there was nothing else, my dad loved a project and keeping busy. So he would just applaud that. Well, it sounds like you have been pretty busy, even with all the stuff going on in your life. So let's get to chatting. We will have on the needles, on the easel, on the table, on the nightstand, and on reflection, because as I said, it's our two-year anniversary. So we want to we wanna talk about that a little. So on the needles, a little bit of a change, something that's not usually on repeat. Courtney's going first. Well, one of my goals this year was to knit a shawl in case we could actually go to ditches. And that's probably not going to be the outcome for this shawl, but I'm making it anyway. And I chose Color Love by Vera Valamaki, whose name I only know how to pronounce because of you. (laughs) It's going really, it realized that I was adding too many stitches on the wrong side and I was it was like out of control and the thing was curling and I couldn't figure out why so I I had to rip out this whole like beginning section which is a lot of ripping out for me because I'm a slow knitter I recast and I've been going strong for the past five days and I am exactly at the point where I had to rip it out so I'm I had set a little podcast goal to be at this point before we recorded. So I knit like four rows this morning. (laughs) Um, And so it's going really well. And I will get more into depth about yarn choices and that kind of thing as I finish it up, I think. I don't care Um, what yarn you're using. Oh, okay. I didn't know you had ordered anything on. All of a sudden you're posting knitting on... Instagram. I, I didn't order anything. I went into Imagine It in the Castro because oh, nice. I, it's been so long since I knit anything and I really needed to see things together. And I had a couple skeins that I thought might work for it. And so I went to Imagine It and parked myself there for an obscene amount of time, probably 
like an hour and 45 minutes trying to choose my colorway. And I ended up going with um, a color, a color assortment that I'm really excited about. I have a Malabrigo in Arroyo, which is like um, a rusty brick color. It's really warm and it does have like a green tone, undertone to it. That's one of my main colors. And then my other main color is Pond by, this is a Joe Sharp Mulberry Silk Georgette. So these two together. And then their marriage color is this speckled Madeline Tosh. It's called West, I think. That's O-E-S-T-E. And it has all the right colors in it to sort of blend these three. Yeah. Oh, that's pretty. Yeah. And it's all three of them are just delicious to work with. Yeah. So I didn't order yarn. I had to order a longer double pointed needle because this thing is like 92 inches long when it's complete. And you said you didn't you do something similar? I did. Yeah, I did color affection years ago. Okay. My one piece of advice advice is to make sure you use a super stretchy bind off because I did not. And mine is a little funky around the edge, but they're super fun. It's like partially solid and then some stripes and it does a swoopy business and yeah, they're similar. Well, I didn't use a very stretchy, like this inner. The cast on should be fine. Yeah. I think you want that one to hold the shape a little bit. Yeah. Um, but I will look for a stretchier bind off. So that's my knitting. Nice. I, I'm hearing applause from everyone listening at home because I don't know. I think it's pretty crazy. I think it's, um, and then, it's a good choice because it is, it's basically just straight knitting, right? Is it? Yeah. It's just, it's garter. a garter stitch. Yeah. Yeah. And it it's going pretty quickly and I can watch. I'm trying to watch the whole previous seasons of the crown for the new redo doing my homework for the crown and it's good for me to have a project right now yeah that's really good. like a really hands hands hands-on project and yeah then I'm I'm sewing a bunch one of the things that you know it's always been a goal of mine to sew more of my own clothes I just need to make it happen so I am sewing I did the muslin for it yesterday. This is a woven top called Fern by Pattern Scout. And I'm doing it with like a peplum. Bodice is pretty fitted. And then it has like a cute peplum, not skirt, but bottom piece to it. And so I did the muslin yesterday and I have the most fun fabric for it. It's really autumnal. And it has mushrooms and butterflies and ferns and acorns. That's awesome. So it's like a white background with black and yellow design, like a mustard yellow, or is it my computer? Yep, it's, it's a mustard yellow and it's really more of a brown line art design. And the fabric is, it's art gallery fabrics. And it's called Forest Floor is the name of the pattern. And I totally love it. I need a mustard colored cardigan to wear over it for the Mm -hmm. fall, which I'm either going to make or I'm not going to, I'm not going to knit one because there's no way I'll I'll finish it. (laughs) I was going to say, you can make an awesome knit one. 
Yeah, I don't see that happening. I like to wear a really thin gauge knit on my top because I'm on the chesty side. So I like a thinner knit for that. But I am looking at sewing maybe like a knit fabric. You know, Mm -hmm. that might be because you can buy um, like a knitted merino wool. Right. And it would, it would sew up really quickly and, and it would be really fine gauge for me, which might work. So I did the muslin yesterday and it, it was too big. So I took it all apart and cut it down almost two sizes and re rebasted it. And I am totally happy with it. So I'm excited to cut into the real fabric, although it might need like a cami underneath because it's kind of thin sheer fabric but um we'll see so would you line it or just wear a separate i think i would i think i would probably just wear a a little cami underneath because then it will move it'll move independently you know if i line it i don't it might be too heavy if i line it and it has such a cute skirt to it i do have a slip that i've had for a really long time that I could chop off and add like, there's this awesome ruffly bit on the bottom of the slip, which is why I've saved it all these years. And that could kind of peek out from the bottom of the peplum. And that could be so cute. I just thought of it before we hopped on the call. So that might be something that I play with before I take out the good scissors and really go to town. Yeah, so that would be cute. These are, these are the kind of projects that are keeping my head in a, in a good place and sort of moving forward. So I'm really happy with the sewing and I have plans to do a couple other pieces this week. And so that's, that's what's on my needles. What's on yours? I don't have a ton of stuff on my needles right now because there's so much that I have gotten off my needles. That's exciting. So I finished, finished, finished my Sharon show by Casa Pinka, which is the very long, very, very long four color shawl that was a mystery knit along. I love it. It's huge. It can wrap several times around my neck. I, I put it on to test it and it was kind of like a Doctor Who scarf. Not quite that long, but but quite, quite long. So the yarn I used, and I don't think I've gone over this in a while, just to get it out there was uh, like a magenta pink from 100 Ravens in the colorway Bad Wolf. And then Forbidden Fiber Superstition in Wedding Dress, which was the gray, really, really pale gray. Three Irish Girls Adorn in Deep Blue Sea, which was shockingly a deep blue. And Yarntini Sock in Ginger Ice, which was a light blue. And that was all from my stash. Some of it was pretty deep stash. The Yarntini, I mean, is probably 10 years old at least. So, so that was pretty exciting. It was fun to see all the different finished objects that people posted and their their color choices. Some people went really autumnal. There was one that was gorgeous that was all like whites and grays um, and maybe like a dark charcoal. So very, very simple. Some were, some people did five or more colors, like they added in some other and were just super wild. So that was, that was good. And yeah, so I'm super excited about that. We are having our nice October weather right now, so it's too warm to wear, but eventually we will get there. And I'm pretty pretty excited about that. And then I finished the Rika hat by Sarah Young. And that was in the Forbidden Fiber Pride DK, which is her sparkle DK base. And that is in the 
Wonder Woman 1984 colorway, which is bright, bright pink with purple swirled through it. I had seen this hat. A bunch of people were knitting it at my knitting retreat that I usually go to in the spring. It's garter stitch. It's super simple. And as I was knitting it, it looked super big. I was like, this is not at all going to work. But it did. It like, fits great. And it's not for me. It's going to go in the charity bin because I, I don't feel that I can wear quite that much hat. But a teen girl could certainly, or boy, could certainly wear that kind of color and sparkles. So I think someone will really enjoy it. Um, and at some point, I want to knit another one for myself. It was great. TV and Zoom knitting. I was really pleased with how that turned out. And then I did a hat Dana by Denise Bayron. You can wear it as a cowl or you can wear it as a kerchief. And this is going to be a birthday present for my friend. To make sure I give it to her on her birthday because this episode drops on the same day. But I'm not sure how. Probably she wouldn't listen on her birthday, so I might have a little wiggle time. But you never know. So this I did in Three Irish Girls Felicity, which was also from Stash. So I'm, I'm making great strides and using up all of my yarn. Not really, but I'm making strides. And the Felicity is a... Uh, merino and silk blend so it's got a little shimmer it's really nice and soft and the colorway is cherry ginger ale and it's this kind of orangey red so I'm really excited it has so it's I mean it's a kerchief kind of shape so triangle in the front and then ribbing around your neck or would go around your head and then it has a nice cable right down the middle with some lace openings and then three tassels at the bottom so I think it's really cute I hope she'll like it We'll see. Fun. The yarn is really nice. It looks, if I do say so myself, it looks pretty spectacular. <laughs> that little bit of silk in there. So I think a little bit of luxury from my friend. And then cardigans. One is the baby cardigan. I'm doing yet another Sunnyside cardigan by Tannis Lavalle. Love Alley. So I haven't figured that one out. I think this is my fourth one I've done overall. Apparently this is my baby pattern. I did this earlier in the year for a niece that had a little girl, the purple one with the giraffe buttons and lining. And so I kind of, I went through so many different patterns, options. This nephew is having a little boy. So I was kind of looking at different ones. And then I was like, you know what? I really like this pattern. I found these really cute dragon buttons and aligning with kind of the same dragons, uh, ribbon with the same dragons for the button band. So the yarn is from Traveling Rhinos and it's their superwash sock. And I don't, it's, it is, I looked this up. It is from 2010, sorry. Yeah, 2010. So I don't know that they're in business anymore. Um, so this is again, deep stash. And the colorway is deep sea and it's a variegated blue from bright blue to a kind of a darker navy. And it didn't pull at all. It looks really cool. I did the cabled version of the Sunnyside cardigan. This is the one where you can do it with a lace panel or a cable panel. Yeah, so I'm super excited. I've got the knitting done for that. And I have the dragon ribbon, but not the buttons yet. They're coming from Canada, so they take a little bit longer, but they're on their way. So I'm pretty excited about that. I kind of, I kind of like my new baby sweater plan, like go with a sweater that I know <laughs> and then tack on cute buttons, but. We'll the see. one, the one with the giraffe buttons was one of my favorite ones that you made last year. Oh, cool. Yeah. I'm pretty excited. I, I hope it's always hard to tell on the, on the internets, how the colors are going to look for the, 
the ribbons and the button. The ribbon was a little bit paler than I thought it would be, but I think it'll be it'll be good. I mean, it looks good with the yarn. So, and the buttons should like each dragon is a different color, so it'll be multicolored dragons. So fun. I think that'll turn out cute. So I finished with the knitting for that, and you need to block it and then sew on the ribbon and when the buttons arrive, sew them on and then send it off. That was good. And baby, baby cardigans go really fast. <laughs> that is fun too. Now that I've got all that out of the way, I am, well, I started and I am back to working on my Celtic cardigan. I have been on a sweater journey. First, I had a vision. I had a vision for which sweater. I did my four-day knit along in the summer and then I haven't done anything in the past few months. I couldn't figure out what I wanted to do. And then I was doing all these other things, all my shawl knit alongs. Then I had a vision. I was like, I need to do a sweater. And I have this purple yarn that I had wanted to use for a while. Then it's a little bit tonal. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to do something pretty simple with a little, little sum going on. And there's a kind of a plain sweater raglan um, with a split hem. And I've been trying to find the right yarn for and keep choosing other things. And I was like, oh, that's what I'm going to do. That'll be perfect. Super excited. Wound up the yarn and realized I had bought a couple extra skeins. And I think I was thinking that I would do something with cables because it is a fairly simple solid color yarn. I mean, it's tonal, but it's not like crazy variegated. So you would be able to see cables. It's like, oh, so I'll do something more complicated. So I have all of this yarn and doing a super simple sweater was not going to use it all up. And I bought it all. So I figured, okay, got to change my plan. Then I was thinking I have all this yarn and stash and a lot of it I buy because I have a specific pattern in mind, but then it takes me two, three, 10 years to get around to knitting it. <laughs> so it's older pattern. Like, I want to do something right now, like a pattern that's super hot, just came out. So the latest pom-pom magazine was coming out. I was flipping through it. There's this really cute kind of slightly cropped sweater, bobbles and cables and lace and craziness. The yarn I have is a fingering and this was lace was two strands of lace held double. I was like, well, that's craziness. I'm not going to do that, but that's basically fingering. I have enough yarn to do it. That's what I'm going to do. So got all my yarn. I got the pattern. I had to wait for the magazine to come. Got the magazine, started getting ready to do a swatch, realized the yardage in my skeins was the same as the ones they were calling for to be held double in the pattern. It's like, huh, <laughs> do I actually have lace weight here? Or are we just calling it different things? It was like, ah, so it's not gonna work. It was, and it, the yarn felt really thin. So I ended up ordering additional <laughs> yarn <laughs> for that. It's gonna be a marled effect. It's gonna be super cool. That'll be my next sweater. See, this has gone from like a quest into a saga. Then I was like, all right, I need to knit something. So I had this other yarn that was already wound up that I had ordered from Blue Brick. She started doing sweater sets where you get a big honking skein, like 1,200 yards of a solid color, and then two 300 gram skein or 300 yard skeins of one of her gradients. So you can have your sleeves will be in gradients and a solid thing. It's like, all right, I'm doing this. It is already wound. It's fingering weight. It's really fingering weight. It's actually fingering weight. I can do this. I found a pattern. This is what I have finally settled on and what I am working on. I will get back to my other one from Pom Pom at some point because I have all that yarn wound up now and I'm ready to go. So what I decided on was the Celtic cardigan by Asita Krebs. So the yarn is her Killarney sock 
and the gradient is electric avenue so it's purples various shades of purples so um, and then so the main part is this like dark dark charcoal gray and then the sleeves will be a purple gradient so i'm pretty excited and then the celtic part of it is it's an open front cardigan and it's going to be pretty pretty long i might even make it longer depending on how much because i do have a whole huge honking skein of it and it has like celtic cables all around the what would be the button band edging and you knit it all in one piece so you start off with the the neck band and then start adding in the raglan shaping and then we'll pick up the sleeves at some point and i might even do those first um, just to to know how much you have so that's how you can add on length is if you get everything else done and then you're working from the top down then you can just go until you're exactly yeah and also i kind of feel like if, if i get it to the length that she recommends and then add on the sleeves that's going to change how it fits so i guess i could take it to whatever length she recommends and then do the sleeves and then if i want it to be and then try it on and if she thinks and if i feel like it should be longer or i have enough yarn or <laughs> i still feel like knitting i might be done because it's yeah yeah as i said fingering weight and this one actually is kind of a fingering weight so pretty thin thin yarn like you would use to knit socks um, but I'm excited. It looks really pretty. That's the only problem is that I have to stop every row and be like, Ooh, look what I did. Oh, <laughs> I did a whole other row. That's how I feel with stocking it or with the garter stitch. Like, yeah. yay, another row. <laughs> it is very exciting. So yes, yeah, so my, my sweater, personal sweater knitting has been, has been a saga. Been a saga. And I'm also still really excited to knit the other one. And I have that yarn. So yeah. Well, tis the season. Yeah. And I have nothing else really. I mean, I have, I have some other small projects, but I might, I might just cast on the other one as well. Um, Cause they are pretty different. The, the cabling now that I've got it going is fairly easy to follow and remember what I need to do next. And then in between, it's just either all knits or all pearls. So that's fairly TV knitting. Whereas the other one looks like it's going to require some attention to be paid so it'd be good to have two different projects but we'll see we will see great yeah that is all that's on my needles what is on the easel well I think the reason why I had more needle projects was it's hard for me to paint right now um I had a bunch of little sketches in my sketchbook that were things my dad really liked, like his sawzaw and duct tape, like sketches of duct tape rolls and zip ties. And, um, and that's kind of where my heart is, which is why it's, it's good to have some other hands-on projects. But I'm also happy to report that I started working on this year's chapbook for Christmas, Ooh. even though if you look back, like, towards the beginning of the year. And I swore that I was going to do something different. And I really did have a very different plan because I thought I would be farther along with Lim and Latitude. Not that Lim and Latitude has stalled. I just, I'm working on little bits and pieces of it. And because my head is someplace else, it's harder to re-engage wholly and completely with that. So that said, you know, it's fall and I always start to think about the chapbook about now. And I've been doing character sketches and thinking about a story and, and 
the, the original chapbook that I wrote two years ago was because my cousin had passed and I felt like I was honoring her memory in a way. And this one, even though I'm thinking about my dad and my mother-in-law, I think we'll still be a little bit cheerful and lighthearted and, and just have another sweet story about forest animals. I'm not sure where it's going to go yet, but happy to have that, those sketches happening. I also talked to my friend Daria about gouache vember, and I'm really excited that it is one of my favorite projects, my favorite annual projects. And the work that I paint in November is always some of my favorite artwork from the year. I just, I love that it's gouache focused and I love that her prompts lead so much space for imagination and leeway and interpretation. And I'm so excited. I'm not sure when she's going to release the prompt list, but I will definitely be participating. In years past, I have painted all of the pieces on just like sheets of paper. And last year I bound them into a book. And I think that I need to figure out if I'm going to, which route I'm going to take again, because they get kind of mussed up when they're in a sketchbook together and, or at least that particular sketchbook. So I need to consider that a little bit. So little things are happening on the easel, but again, it's being dictated by where my brain is at, I guess. Fair. Is that fair? Totally fair. (laughs) Okay, good. I mean, I will, yeah, I've had days and I'm like, I can't work on any of my knitting projects. I just need to do something new. Like that's mentally what I have to do to like get through the day. I'm casting on something different. And yeah. Yeah. The knitting is an awesome, it's, you know, I still feel productive and creative in a way. And, but I do miss, I miss painting. I'm, I still have so many things that I want to get back to like lemon latitude and that gouache zine that I was working on. And I do have some Christmas gifts. Are you are you doing knitting? Are you knitting Christmas gifts this year? We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> I have some plans. My Christmas knitting is usually not terribly focused. It's kind of like, oh yeah, I'll do this. And then it happens. Yeah. And it's not like I'm going to... One year I did kind of made a plan and a list and I was knitting for everyone kind of in my immediate family and it drove me crazy. Yeah. So now it's a little bit whatever strikes my fancy. I want to do a little Christmas painting for my nephews and my niece. And having spent so much good time with my East Coast nephews this year, I think I feel inspired to do that, but I haven't given it much thought beyond that. So stay tuned. Yeah. All right. On the table, I've actually been doing a lot of really fun cooking Mostly this past week. There was some some stuff this past two weeks, so it's been a little difficult to narrow down. So we'll see how this goes. <laughs> One thing I really liked was from Cookie and Kate. So thank you for turning me on to that. And it was a recipe for vegetarian stuffed acorn squash. Yum. It was the most fall meal I've made in a long time because, I mean, it is now fall. So it was the stuffed acorn squash and... Then I did a spinach salad on the side with pomegranates and sliced pears. And there was also a recipe 
from Cookie and Kate for a ginger dressing, which was delicious. So it just looked gorgeous with all these fall colors on the plate and the, the acorn squash was really good. And I wasn't quite sure how that was going to work out. I had ordered one from my produce box and for some reason they gave me two, which actually worked out great because then I was able to cut them in half and there's four of us and so it worked out really well. So you bake the squash on its own and then you make a quinoa stuffing. So I have quinoa and dried cranberries and some pumpkin seeds and green onion and Parmesan and goat cheese. Yum. Bake the squash for a while and then upside down and or cut side down and then flip them over, add the stuffing, bake for a little bit more so that it all gets melty and delicious. And it was really good. And I was surprised by how much of it my kids ate. <laughs> so I thought they might be a little cranky about the whole process, but they were not. Yeah, so I was really, really pleased with that that one. And it was cool enough that it was okay having the oven on for a while. This week, that would not fly, I don't think. <laughs> but last week was good. And then I pulled out Melissa Clark's, her two cookbooks. I don't remember why, but I did. And I've been, you know, cooking my way through that again. And I started off with one from her, uh, it's like Melissa Clark's Kitchen. And it was pasta with salami and mint. Sounds really weird, but it's actually very tasty. And it's kind of a tomato, you make the tomato sauce and then you add um, some spicy salami slices and you top it with the mint. And it's just, it's a little bit different from your normal every day, but not totally crazy. Uh, and I have some big mint fans in my family. I was able to, because you basically cook the tomato sauce first. So I made a double batch of the tomato sauce and then split it in half and did the salami in just one. So Simon did not have his contaminated by the delicious salami. <laughs> and mint, mint is the only thing that is still thriving on my little patio garden, you know, fail. Yeah, it took over our backyard when we had it and we just... When we read it, it would be like, no, don't put it back. Because It is nice to have because I do have big mint fans in my house, but it does take over. Um, so that was fun. So that was pretty easy. Just a little tweak to your normal, regular tomato sauce. But then she had a couple of other good ones. Tofu spetzel, um, which sounds really weird. But if you shred tofu on the big holes of a grater, extra firm tofu that you've pressed and gotten as much moisture out, it's really cool. Then you caramelize onions and mix that in with the tofu and a bunch of, I think I just use Swiss cheese, but she recommends Gruyere. And then you bake it off and it's this, it was really good. And I was looking around to see if there was an online copy of that recipe and I didn't find it, but she has a bunch of stir fry recipes using that same technique with the tofu. It makes the texture a little bit different and interesting. And so I really, I like that. And I do want to, I think I want to try a tofu uh, stir-fried version. Wednesday, Wednesday's newsletter from Sam Sifton, the editor of the of the New York Times Food, has Melissa Clark's recipe for roasted cauliflower with pancetta, olives, and crisp parmesan, which Ooh. I instantly flagged because it sounds awesome. That does sound so really good. It is definitely a, a Melissa Clark moment around here too. I also made her marmalade meatballs, which are on the New York Times. She had them as a little bit more pulling from your kitchen, but they're basic meatballs and she added a couple extra spices, but then you make a marmalade glaze to finish them with. And I think you just cooked them in the broiler. And I used Beyond Meat or Impossible Meat, one of those 
fake plant-based meats and they were really good. I didn't double it. I was trying to serve more vegetables with it. I made mashed potatoes and they were really delicious, kind of spicy and sweet. And that, that lovely kind of combo, if that's your thing, I would recommend checking them out. And she, the directions she has on the New York Times were from early, early in this whole current times. So she gives a lot of ideas for switching it up. Like you don't have orange marmalade, you can use, you know, apricot jam, whatever, just like any, and different spices, just play around with it. I made baked beans in my instant pot with actual, I think they were Indian woman beans and they were delicious. So good. So I was excited about that. And then, although boy too, apparently does not like baked beans. I know you thought they were kind of too sweet. I've never had that criticism in this house. I thought it was odd. Yeah. <laughs> and then I have a new cookbook. Well, a cookie book, a uh, hundred cookies by Sarah Kiefer. And this will be our next cook along, bake along recipe book review coming up in about a month because I got one for Courtney because there is an entire section of chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> How could I not get that for her? I'm so excited. Thank you. Thank you. There's a lot of bars. There's a lot of kind of traditional cookies. There's some funky different ones. I've already made two. The one I wanted to talk about was the banana cookies. Uh, there's a better name for it. There's a couple of banana ones. And the secret is you use ground up um, freeze dried bananas. She said she kept trying to make them with regular banana and it was too much. And she did, yeah, it didn't really have any, yeah, and didn't have any real banana flavor. These are so banana tasting. They're really good. And the recipe said it would make about 15 cookies. And I got probably closer to 30, 25, 30. And they are, they're still giant. So wow. she goes big. Good. Um, but they were simple and they worked fine with my gluten-free flour. You get to bang the pan at the end. So that was pretty exciting. I enjoyed that. And they did like kind of collapse, but in a good way. Yeah. It condenses the flavor. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know that that's what it does. I just, <laughs> it does something to it. My kids are both like, these are amazing. They were very excited. That's I think we even said these were like some of the best cookies I'd ever made. Which... Wow. I know. I think that is all that is on my table. Well, given our last two weeks, we didn't really have a lot on the table here, but it's October and my, you know, my, my goal for this whole season was to not postpone joy despite everything that was going on. And so we can't really do much yet, but we decided that we would kind of do our own little take on Oktoberfest minus the beer because we haven't done that part of it yet, but we might. So one night I did pre pre-made sausages, but I did braise some purple cabbage. And I think I did a oven roasted potato with that too Ooh. for the start, for the start of it. And then I found a great recipe for pork schnitzel and schnitzel is the super thin kind of cutlet style. And then it's breaded and pan fried. And it usually has either a dill sauce 
or I found a mustard cream sauce to go with it that everybody loved. The pork schnitzel, I had to pound out these really thin pork cutlets and I I knew that people would plow through them. So I made extras and it really did stretch for a few nights and then we would just reheat them. They only take like five minutes to reheat them in the oven because they're so thin and they would crisp right back up again. So that was a really great way to kind of cook once and then either have a sandwich with it the next day or to, or to have it um, for dinner the following night. So with the pork schnitzel, I did a tray of roasted vegetables like parsnips and Brussels sprouts just in the oven with olive oil and a little bit of sea salt. And then on my portion, I added some miso butter with it, which tasted great with the pork schnitzel. I was just looking for a little more flavor and I didn't necessarily want to reheat the mustard cream sauce. I probably should have. Oh, but the, the marmalade glazed meatballs you were just talking about mm-hmm. reminded me that I came across the most amazing advent calendar from Bon Maman, you know, the little jam company with the pretty gingham lids, not little jam company, but they do a jam advent calendar. So 24 of their little tiny jams and all the fun ones and the standbys. And it's, you know, it comes in like you open the little window and you can get your jam for the day. And I just think that that's adorable. And I've seen them in a couple different places online, like Cost Plus World Market or from their website. And it's a really sweet, no pun intended, advent calendar. I was going to send it to my sister, but then she said she wouldn't eat it. So, So that made me think, that reminded me when you were talking about marmalade. Other than that, I really want to do a pretzel, a pretzel night for our little October DIY Oktoberfest. And we have my father-in-law coming. So I will be cracking into that cookbook uh, today, basically. (laughs) So yeah, a little quieter in the kitchen, but that's okay. We'll get there. You could do um, tofu spetzel. (laughs) I could do tofu spetzel. Or regular. Regular is pretty delicious. Yeah. Although I can't remember if my kids liked it or not. We did try it when we were in the Dolomites last year, which seems like eight years ago, given our current stretch of time. But yeah, we like Spetzel. All right. On the nightstand. All right. <clears throat> I'm still continuing on my reading all the things. So get ready. First was Spoon Benders by Daryl Gregory. And I listened to that. And I, I don't know how I came across this one. Um, I think someone said it was good on audio. And so I said, nah, all right, I've been enjoying my audiobooks. Let's listen to it. So Teddy Telemachus is a con man and he meets and falls in love with Maureen McKinnon, who is an actual psychic and she may or may not be working for the government. I like how yes. you said actual psychic. <laughs> she can um, astral project is what it turns oh, out. Oh, that's so convenient. And their kids end up having powers too. And they take the act on the road. They go on TV. It's going to be their big break. And it ends up going horribly wrong. Everyone thinks they're fakes. And so they you know, retire. And Maureen passes away about a year later. And things just keep kind of going downhill. Or at least not going uphill. We skip ahead 
many years. The kids are all grown up. They have kids of their own who are teenagers. And that's kind of the, the central point of the story. And it goes both forwards and backwards from there. It switches around to like what happened in between, what happened with Teddy and Maureen's story. Going forward, the youngest kid, who's like 28 now, he's not really a kid. He can see the future, but he can't see anything past a certain date. And so he is doing everything he can to prepare for the big zap, as he calls it. Uh, there's also government conspiracies and the mob is involved. <laughs> it's really, um, the, the kids are teenagers and it takes place in the mid nineties. So you've got things like AOL and you know computer chat rooms and it was a trip and it was basically a family drama. You know, their relationships, how you can totally love someone and yet not respect their choices and basic family drama kind of stuff. So it was pretty weird, but I also I also quite enjoyed it. I think I went in thinking it would be more fantasy based, and that's it wasn't really. I mean, there's the psychic stuff, but it's it's more about the drama and the relationship between the three generations. So What's that called again? That is called Spoonbenders by Daryl Gregory, and some good twists and turns with you know what is revealed and what people are up to and things like that. And then I read Vida Nostra by Marina and Sergei Dyachenko, and it is translated from the Russian by Julia Metov Hersey. So this one is the story of Sasha, who is, I think she lives in Moscow, and she's on vacation with her mom. She's about to be a senior in high school and meets this creepy guy. Weird stuff starts happening. She ends up being enrolled in this strange college that ends up being for magic. But they control the kids by if they screw up, then they'll do something bad to somebody that's important to them. And then it turns out she's the best magician ever, that kind of thing. It was weird. <laughs> it was not quite what I was expecting. It's not like Harry Potter magic. It's more like Doctor Strange, alternate realities, bending time and space kind of thing. And very strange. Someone said it's very Russian. And I would kind of, kind of agree with that. <laughs> So not my favorite. I did I did keep going. It was it was weird. It started off really really dark and got a little bit less creepy later on. Um, I did not see the ending coming, so that was kind of a surprise. So it was interesting. If you like your dark dark magic, that might be something to check out. If you like the Russian spirit, also might be something to check out. Um, and then apparently I kept on my Russian theme. I finally finished Gentleman in Moscow by Amor Tolls. And I really liked it, I got to say. I did not like Rules of Civility. And I don't know if it was because I really thought I was going to like that one. And then so I had zero expectations for Gentlemen in Moscow, except that so many people really liked it and told me I would like it. So I did really like it. I feel like it falls into the life of Pi. Like you think it's going to be one thing and it Mm -hmm. turns out, I don't know. I don't want to spoil it for anyone. Gentlemen in Moscow is one of my favorite books of the last... 10 years. Wow. Yeah, no, I was, I was definitely surprised. So this is, starts off the Russian revolution and Count Alex Rostov is declared a non-person. And the only reason he is not executed is because he one time wrote a poem that seems to have revolutionary sentiments. And so he is sentenced to house arrest at the Metropole Hotel in central Moscow. Um, He's kicked out of his suite and sent to the attic but he makes a whole life there and it goes to the next 40-ish, 40 or so, 40, 50 years of his life. All sorts of twists and turns, lots of 
you know, Russian history and it was really impressive. It's, yeah, it's um total it's totally surprising. Yeah. How how delightful and hard and complicated that book is. Yeah. I also feel like it was really a rich read in the descriptions. Like you could really picture the elaborate ornate spaces around this hotel mm -hmm. and then how they would contrast it with like the back stairs or something, you know, I right. just felt like that was, that was so well written and just deliciously rich detail. Yeah. And you start off and it's, it's four or five different sections and the first one kind of introduces you to his character and what's going on and the life of the hotel. And I was reading that and kind of thinking, okay, where is it going to go from here? Because he's just going to be in the hotel with these same people. What are they going to do? And what he does was really quite entertaining and awesome. Yeah. And it, it had kind of a lightness to it. I mean, there, there are some tense parts, but they also just skip over World War II. That's just doesn't happen. I mean, it does, but they just don't talk about it. Yeah. Which was sort of weird, but so that was gentleman in Moscow. And um, I'm actually, my alumni group is doing a, a webinar, which he's going to be speaking about his book at. So I am pretty excited about that. That's very cool. That was why I had to finish it. <laughs> <laughs> and then I read When No One Is Looking by Alyssa Cole. And she has been a romance writer before then. And I've really liked a lot of her books. And so now this one is a thriller. There's a little bit of romance as well, but it's basically a thriller. And uh, one of the descriptions of it was Rear Window Meets Get Out. So it was, it was pretty fun. Sydney has moved back home to Brooklyn to the house she grew up in. And the neighborhood is starting to gentrify, but really, really rapidly, like overnight, scarily rapidly. And so she is trying to research the history of the neighborhood and then gets involved in figuring out where the neighbors are going, like what is happening to them, because something is very, very wrong. So it was good. I read it in like a morning, maybe morning and an afternoon, because you gotta, gotta keep going. She is good at the plot. There's some twists and turns. It was a fun book. So I would recommend that one for, you know, a, a quick, fun read. But also she does not pull any punches on what gentrification means to the neighborhoods that are there. It makes a lot of comparisons with colonization. And that's basically, you know, an emerging neighborhood. Like, what is it emerging from? There's people there that have a life and a community. And what does all that mean? And she really, she goes into that. So it was also a thoughtful book in that way. Then I listened to How Much of These Hills is Gold by C. Pam Zhang. So it takes place in the 1860s. So it's about two siblings and their father has just died and their mother died several years ago and they are trying to find a place to bury him. Um, and it goes again back and forth between the family struggles before them. The father had been trying to be a gold miner and the discrimination they faced and the older sister is really smart but you know obviously that time and place was not easy for her to do anything with that. Um, and then it goes ahead after their their journey and, and all sorts of things happen. <laughs> it was a really beautiful book. Again, this one I listened to. Um, I, I, oh, I wish that I had read it. I, the language is really beautiful. There were parts of it that I think you needed to see on a page. Mm. I would have liked to see how it was structured on the page. I think that would add to it um, somewhat. But it was, it was not a happy book, but definitely worth reading. 
and I'm, I'm glad I did. That part of California history that we don't always don't always hear about. And then I read Sometimes I Lie by Alice Feeney. Our heroine Amber wakes up in a hospital room in a coma. Well, she can't move, but she can hear what's going on and no one realizes that she can. She was apparently in an accident, but isn't sure what happened. She thinks maybe her husband's involved. So again, back and forth in time, you get kind of the days leading up to the accident and what happened. And then as she's going forward, this one was pretty creepy. And there were definitely some interesting twists and turns and you get to the end and you're like, wait a minute, what just happened? Which is why I got the actual book book from the library because I was pretty sure, because I had had heard that there were twists and turns. And then I was pretty sure at the end, I would want to like immediately flip back. (laughs) So I got the actual book because our libraries are open or some of them are anyway. Oh yeah, so I don't know. I definitely, you know, zipped through this one. It was probably a little creepier than I like, but... The twists and turns were good. I'm still not quite sure what happened. <laughs> it was very interesting. And then I went super light with American Royals by Catherine McGee, which is if George Washington was the king instead of the president and his family is still in charge of running our country. Mm-hmm. A little bizarre. So it was basically a soap opera of a book. The current king is whatever, hanging around and he's got three kids who are oldest daughter is about to be the first queen they've just changed the inheritance rules so the oldest child instead of the oldest son will be the next ruler so she's struggling with all of that and then she's got younger twin siblings who are trying to find their way and find love and there's an evil ex-girlfriend and it's just a soap opera of epic proportions and it was interesting how it was weirding me out I was like that's just wrong like (laughs) having royalty was so weird but it was interesting to see how she kind of changed things around a lot of things were the same like the royal family has a ski resort or ski lodge in Telluride so like that's still a thing but then you've got dukes and like the duke of Boston and the, you know the duke of Orange <laughs> and whatnot so it was very strange and I didn't love her representation it felt like a lot of times she stuck in characters just to have them so she could say look I've got you know I've got the duke of the Iroquois because we were super representative and I didn't really buy it so but it was amusing there's a sequel coming out that was why I decided to make this one out so that was kind of a a palate cleanser um yes and now I'm reading The Vanishing Half which I love but oh good I haven't finished yet that's it for me (laughs) is that enough I think that might be enough yeah well I only have a couple we were traveling and all of that stuff I read The Glass Hotel by Emily St. John Mandel, which you have read and and spoke about. This is not a sequel to Station Eleven, but some of the characters are re-threaded into this new novel. I feel like it could totally be standalone because it was not connected, really. Actually, some of the characters, I think, are in her first two books as well. Okay. I've I've only read, this is my second of her books. I've read Station Eleven in this one. The main character is a woman named Vincent, who is like bartender at this really remote hotel in the Vancouver area. And her brother works there too for a time. And she ends up in a romantic relationship with the owner of the hotel, who happens to be super rich and I don't think it's a giveaway to say that he is involved in some really 
unbelievably shady business. Yeah, right? no, I, think financial. I think that's made clear pretty early on in the I, I think it's on the flap even that yeah. he's he's basically running a Ponzi scheme, a like Bernie Madoff proportion. And she, they do not get married, but she lives in this other realm of wealth with him for three years, I guess. And really the story moves back and forth talking about the people who have been affected by this Ponzi scheme, how they were caught up in it and, um, and just sort of the ripple effect that this has, not just on the investors, but on the people who worked for the Ponzi scheme and who kept it secret. And then Vincent herself. And then there's this, I don't know why it felt, it all felt very disjointed and, and sort of fractured to me. Vincent ends up working as a chef on a like a cargo vessel or something like that shipping a shipping vessel and she disappears and then there's this mystery about what happened to her and the whole book feels rather mysterious all the way through there were some missing threads for me and I really just stuck with it because I adore this author I think she has like an incredible sense of detail and I felt like there would be a slightly, I felt like there would be a greater payoff than there, than there was. However, I'm willing to say that my own reading was compromised because I was traveling and, you know, grieving. And so it maybe wasn't the best thing for me to be reading at the time. Cause it felt like it was sort of complicated. So no, I think that's fair. And I think her, the other one of hers that I've read, the Lola Quartet is very similar in that way, where there's all these threads and things connect, but they also don't quite. Yeah, it's a particular style that takes takes some getting used to, I guess. Then I just finished Transcendent Kingdom by Ya Jossi. I have that one out. I've got a, that's, I think, next on my list. This one was definitely more character driven than than some of the, you know, race along plots that we've been reading here and there, but this is about a character named Gifty whose family is from Ghana. Her her parents are from Ghana and she was born in Huntsville, Alabama and raised there with her mom. She has an older brother who I don't know the Ghanaian pronunciation. It looks like Nana, but she does reference Gifty references how Americans say, or at least the Alabamans pronounce Nana wrong. So I'm not sure how it would be pronounced properly. And they're raised by their mother and their father has gone back to Ghana by the time they're, I don't know, maybe eight or 10 years old. The driving force behind the narrative and her own character is that her brother, Nana, is um, has some substance dependency. And ultimately he dies of an overdose. So Gifty has made it her lifelong journey to research addiction. And she, for most of the novel takes place when she is in a lab at Stanford and doing research on mice and 
you know, she's very dedicated to her work and her mother comes to stay with her and is really depressed. And so it's, it's a lot of very careful and thoughtful writing about mental health in our society, including substance abuse. And I think that it's, it's pretty well done. It's not a very hopeful, there's so many things that we don't know about mental health. And I feel like we're, we're alongside her for the, the journey, you know, in, in terms of not having so many answers, but being desperate to find them. Really, really a great character, very well developed and interesting and thoughtful. And I thought it was a really worthwhile read. And that's, that's it. I only have those two for you today. That's fine. I think I read enough for both of us. I think so too. All right. On reflection, happy anniversary, podiversary. Happy podcast anniversary. whatever that mouthful of a word is. <laughs> this is two years ago today. We first met to record our first episode. So it's been good. I had a much harder time picking favorites. I feel like last year I was like, oh yeah, that was my favorite. And this year I was like, well, there was this and there was this and there was this was really good too. So apparently we've been awesome. <laughs> well, it was uh, earlier this week, I listened to our first podcast anniversary episode where we sort of recapped what we loved and gave ourselves a good old fashioned pat on the back. And we were able to do that episode live And so I think what was really striking to me was how joyful we both sound in that episode um, because we did, we did it, we did a year and now we've been apart for more than six months and we're still doing it. And granted, you know, I have stepped away because of family stuff here and there, but you have been going strong with Kelly when I wasn't able to jump on. And you have, I think we've just established a really good momentum despite our podcasting from a distance. So bravo. Yes. Bravo to you too. We've got lots of stuff going on in so many different areas of our lives. I know. How would you like to like um, structure it the same way we structure an episode? Our favorite knitting easel. That was my- okay. So knitting, I went back and counted my projects. So I didn't add them up, uh, but I had 25 hats, which is bonkers. <laughs> Absolutely bonkers. Cause I did all of those hats for Christmas last year. And then I've been doing my charity hats and they were like, babies everywhere so there were a lot of hats so some of them like at least 10 of them were probably baby hats so that's pretty fast but still it's a lot of hats eight pairs of socks and two pairs of slippers which is also pretty bonkers six cowls or shawls five sweaters for me and two baby sweaters and three gnomes the gnomes three gnomes three gnomes yep and i um signed up for a an advent gnome along which comes with like an advent calendar where you some days it's yarn and some days it's goodies for knitting the gnome so I'm pretty excited about that so probably my favorite one was the descent cardigan which is sort of cheating because I think I was working on it in the middle of last the last anniversary but I'm gonna I'm gonna pick it because that was that was sticking and color work and an RBG so yeah yeah. 
So that one was my favorite. And I have, I think I've done a really good job of using up my stitches yarn for this year. I haven't used up all of it, but I got through a lot of it. I feel good about my, I mean, I'm definitely still buying yarn. Let's, let's be real, but I also feel like I am making good strides on using what I have. So good. I'm pleased with that. Well, I went back through your knitting over the past year and it was very hard to choose. Although a key highlight for me was sticking your descent Cardi, because we did that together. That's true. At, at my house because I had stitched along the gutter for you. And, and then, then almost, and then almost steeped it because I was in go mode. Ah, you had, and I don't remember how to pronounce this, the Tewanua shawl. Hey, Fenua. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I think the stitching in that was extraordinary. And I love the jade color. Like it's so textural. It, it just blew my mind. I also loved the Brickyard sweater, which you did in a gorgeous aqua because it is like a perfect fit. And I don't know how you do that, but it just fits you so well. And I thought that was worthy of a nod. And then, although it's so hot here, I can't even think about putting on a hat, but I can't wait to wear my Murnong hat again, which I just thought was so thoughtful of you. And it, you know, it will forever remind me of this painting project because the Lemon Latitude project, because it came from a pattern that I found from an Australian yarn company. So I couldn't pick just one. That's fine. <laughs> I am amazing. So, yeah. <laughs> so the art, do you want to talk about your art first? Sure. I counted that I did 216 paintings from this time last year till now. And that would have been much higher if I had continued with the 100 day project but I didn't make it all the way through. You got um, pretty far through though, didn't you? Um, like 60, I think. Really? Yeah. I kept painting, but it's, it, I really had a hard time finding joyful things. Yeah. Um, I think that I had about 50 illustrations for the chat book and another 25 for the podcast because I paint a little something for each episode that we release. I think my favorite podcast illustration from the past year was this jar of sourdough starter or mother that I painted. I thought it was going to be the ugliest painting, but there was something about the edges of the Weck jar that were sort of a really pale teal blue and then the bubbles in the jar. And it was something that I painted from life. And that made me really happy because the whole sourdough starter thing just encapsulates one of the better parts of the pandemic, if that can be said. Do you still have it? Yeah. I, I haven't checked on it since I've been home, which makes me think I should climb to the back of the fridge and see how that mother is doing. But um, I think it's probably fine. It probably has a little bit of of the liquid, what's it called on top, but I think it'll be okay. So yeah, it was a, it was a pretty good year for painting. I'm hoping for better next year. Sounds like a good plan. I really liked your grid project. Um, oh I that yeah. I love seeing how it developed. And then you had that whole, the finished object was also really cool. The little different tiny, um, it was definitely a you thing, but 
just a little bit different from how you normally operate. And the themes were really cool. Yeah. So I really I think I might pick that back up again too. Yeah. And then for the podcast photos, I really like the rainbow trout <laughs> because usually we end up with a white background and that one, the background was all blue. So that was kind of different. And he was a really cute trout. And then also the headphones for our first podcast in place. So it was just a black and white sketch that was again, totally different from what you usually do. And yet very you. So fun. Those on the table, I got to go with the toffee bars. I've made them so many times now. And so the the toffee bar was my heirloom recipe for summer bingo. And that did take a couple of trials for me to find the right one. And then you have tweaked it to suit your own family, which is awesome. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, the recipe, and I think my recipe is actually more accurate because I don't mix the chocolate chips in. I spread them on top. Um, Yeah, well. But I did take, it did take some tweaking to figure out the right size pan and how the proportion of topping to bar. And how to under bake them so that they're just right is always a little tricky. Yeah. It's easier. I think that that might be why we mixed in the chocolate so that you can kind of see at what level it's browned, you know, Hmm. and then you can just be done with it. Yeah. Maybe someday I'll have to try that. But Did you have a favorite savory recipe from the year? I didn't have any favorite, favorite, favorites. I've been pretty excited about my commitment to beans and my commitment to my instant pot. Those have both worked out pretty well. And they're, you know, they're coming together with like the baked beans in the instant pot and the chickpeas. I was pleased. I was also looking at some of the funny things like the whipped coffee that I was making and the strawberry summer cake, which is another sweet thing from Spain that I've made a lot. Microwave popcorn. I got that from you. Little container. That is good. Yeah, there was no real standout standout recipe, but themes and the ways my cooking has changed has been kind of kind of pleasing. Well, the toffee bars made my list too because it was something that my sister and I were kind of kibitzing back and forth about. And so I love that it was something she and I were able to reconnect and sort of chat about because we're we're far apart geographically. I think that my kids would say that the the chicken gyro recipe, the tatsiki with the tatsiki sauce was one of their favorite things that I've made like for the past eight months. But everybody still really loves those turkey burgers from Milk Street Tuesday night cookbook. Those are really- and, and my friend Kelly, she got a copy of that and has been cooking from that cookbook and says the same thing. Like it's just a great fit for her and her sister who have been living together through this quarantine. The other thing that I finally had success with after two years of talking, or at least a year and a half of talking about empanadas on the podcast was that empanada recipe. The filling was from modern proper. And then the, the pie dough recipe was from, a little cookbook that Kelly D had sent me about, and it was like a hand pie little cookbook. And it was, it had a great like cream cheese based dough that was so much easier to work with, but I can't wait to jump back into the lemon latitude because it was such a great way to explore different recipes. Like when I made the the pot stickers and, or um, those Danish or the, the 
the almond yes. cookies from yes. the Netherlands. That's something that my kids would gobble up in a second if I made those again. So I love that this year had so many different flavors, partly because of Milk Street and partly because of Lemon Latitude. I do miss podcasting in person for many different reasons, but also because we could always try each other's little recipes when we were coming and going. Yeah. Oh yeah. Remember you did those cookies with like the white chocolate in the middle or the, those were good. All right. On the nightstand, I have read 109 books in the past year. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Wow. So, and that is not the calendar year. That's the full, like since last since this time last year yeah Yeah. um but i am at like 90 something for this year so wow which apparently i've been doing a lot of reading and i think it is also doing the audiobooks which i've done a lot of this year and haven't really done in the past because that does give you a few more here and there i think i'm gonna go with the mirror and the light for my my book of the year i you know it's the the finale of her series um the hillary mantel the Thomas series. Uh, and I, I mean, <laughs> she couldn't mess with the ending too much. You kind of knew what was going to happen. <laughs> he dies, spoiler, but she did it in a way that I don't want to say I enjoyed it because, but I, I read it thinking oh, maybe it won't happen. Maybe it won't happen. It happened 500 years ago or whatever it is, but you know, I still felt really invested in this character and sad that it was over, but it felt like an appropriate ending, which I think is hard to do after a thousand pages. I just love, I love the way she writes. And so I'm going to go with the mirror and the light. Good. Good choice. I am at 56 books since this time last year. I haven't been doing as much audiobook stuff because I don't know why. I think we've had a lot this year. Just give myself a little bit of grace. Yeah. Um, and I was really split between two books for two different reasons. If you had asked me three weeks ago, I would have said that my favorite book in the past year was The Giver of Stars by Jojo Moyes, which was about the Appalachian librarians who rode horseback. And I, I really feel like that book had a lot of great stuff going on. Up until, and not to take away anything from The Giver of Stars, but Life of Pi had been sitting on my bookshelf for a really long time, and I had overlooked that poor thing, and I think it was an important read for me for a lot of different reasons, and and my son, who had to read it for his magical realism class, It allowed us to have a big conversation. And I think it turned into a much bigger read than I was anticipating, aside from being extraordinary. So I was split between those two books. Hmm, Those are two good choices. Thank you. Yeah. The thing I found interesting looking back is the genres that I've been leaning towards. And I think I used to be lots of historical fiction and lots of literary fiction and I really swapped into like mystery and fantasy and romance and I mean I think I just want (laughs) worlds that don't feel quite so real even even if they are having dystopian or yeah yeah like that but it's still 
I don't know. I think I, I need more escapism in my life, apparently. It's the only thing I can think of. I did find that pretty interesting. Yeah, I, I really wish I had that kind of brain that I could make um, Goodreads happen. I do keep a list in the back of my planner of all of the books that I read. And that's been a really helpful. It's like my own. And of course, it's beautiful. Thank you. But I just, I think better on paper. But it would be, I think that would be a good thing is to go through and note by genre. Because I bet all of mine are literary fiction with maybe some, a couple little outliers of memoir or I don't know what else. Maybe some, a little bit of nonfiction now and again. I think given the fact that we are, we only live four miles apart from each other and we had to do this remotely and, and we kept it going is still pretty pretty great yeah despite the circumstances yeah yeah so I would I would like to propose that we do it for another year I agree let's keep repeating this okay working pretty well now that I now that I'm a knitter and all yeah (laughs) I'm not gonna start painting though I'm sorry oh that's okay I keep thinking about sewing but I don't think I can do it well now I really want to buy the serger. And I was talking about the serger a year ago in the podcast episode. So who knows? Maybe we'll see. All right. I think that's it. Thank you everyone for sticking with us through ups and downs and craziness and changes of reading genres. And we will, we will keep repeating this if you want to keep tuning in. I do have a request though. And this is something that we hardly ever do but it helps other people find our podcast if you can review us on whatever platform you're listening. So if you're an Apple person or a Google Play and you can take a minute and review the podcast, it helps other people find us. And we would think so highly of you for doing that. We'll think highly of you anyway, but that would be yeah. super. Yes, that would be very helpful. All right. Until next time, make sure to do something you love every day. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Show notes can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. You can find us on Instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or courtneysf, that's C-O-R-T-N-E-Y-S-F. On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M-A-G-D-O-N. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.